Oh, you've been having a lot of them. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. Welcome. So good to see everyone this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. 
Amen. Praise God. It's good to see uh, some of us remembered to spring our clock forward. So praise God. It's good to be here this morning. Welcome to Pleasant Grove Assembly of God. We're ready to worship the Lord this morning. I just wanted to remind, though, uh, don't forget for our members, our special business meeting is tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. right here. Uh, should be a short meeting. Just take care of some business. So please come out and uh, help us do that. And then don't forget that this is Mission Sunday. So we'll have our BGMC buckets will be in the back. Don't forget your uh, offerings for our missionaries. Continue to pray for them as they do the Lord's work throughout the world. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Are you ready to worship the Lord this morning? Yes, will you stand this morning? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Let's prepare our hearts this morning. Thank the Lord today for His presence. He's here today. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Amen? Liberty to worship the Lord. Oh, let's do that this morning. Heavenly Father, we love You today. Father, we thank You for another day. God, that we can come to Your house, Lord. Father, we come this morning, Lord God, with hungry hearts. Lord, I pray that You would move in our midst this morning, Lord. That You would fill every heart. That You would minister to every need today, Lord God. Father, that You would move in a mighty way, Lord, and be glorified as we lift our worship to You in Jesus' Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus, that you are here this morning. We thank you, Lord God, as we lift you up. You come and flood us with your presence. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our way maker, our miracle worker.
Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, let your miracle power be released in this service. Let the promises that you have spoken come to pass in this hour. Father, in the name of Jesus, as your people give an ear to hear, speak to them personally. Speak to them in families. Let your word work. Let your word give fresh revelation and understanding. Let your word impart and give a new strength and give a new zeal and ignite a fresh faith and devotion. But, oh God, we pray, release the working of your mighty power to heal the hurting and refresh the weary, to bring glory and honor and praise to thy name. In the name of Jesus, we pray and God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Glory. Amen. Good morning. So good to see you. Well, welcome to the house of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read a couple of texts this morning as we come to the end of our series of sermons from the life of the prophet Elijah. And these are going to be the last two we'll do. Then down the road we got one more we can toss in there, but... If you would, 1 Kings 19, verse 19, and then we're going to jump to 2 Kings, but I wanted to give you a little thought here. So, Elijah, verse 19, went from there and found Elisha, son of Shabbat, and he was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went to him and threw his cloak or his mantle around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my mother, father, goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment, took, he cooked the meat, gave it to the people, they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant or his attendant. Now, if you'd go to 2 Kings, the second chapter, we're going to jump ahead about eight to ten years towards the end of the life of Elijah. And let's see what happens here. Again, this is going to be a two-part message. So, verse 8, 2 Kings 2, verse 8, Elijah took his cloak or his mantle. He rolled it up. He struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two men walked across on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Elijah said, you've asked a difficult thing. Things of the Spirit are not easy things. Blessings of true spiritual blessings are not given out like a blue light special. They're costly and they're demanding. You've asked a difficult thing. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And verse 11 says, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart. And he picked up the mantle, the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho were watching, and they said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went out to meet him and bowed to the ground 
before him. We want to spend our next couple of weeks talking about the passing and the receiving of your mantle. The passing and the receiving of your mantle. Again, we're looking at the end of the life of the prophet Elijah. This is probably the last decade or so of his life. And the passing of the baton, the passing of that mantle ministry needs to be carried on. There is a passing on and then there has to be a picking up from the generation that's following. Now, if you can remember last week's message, it was after the great victory on Mount Carmel that Elijah experienced a burnout, a terrible exhaustion, a real letdown. And the last thing that God does to get him back on his feet, to get him back into the battle, is he gives him a new assurance and he gives him a new assignment. He gives him a new assurance. He says, Elijah, you're not alone. You feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. I have 7,000 others that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You're, you're not alone, and what you're going through is not unique. Others have gone through it, and my grace is sufficient for them, and my grace will be sufficient for you. Sometimes when we go through it and it seems unique, and the devil likes to jump on that and make us feel like we're alone and overwhelmed and no one understands, but the Lord reminds us the trials and the struggles of this life are just that. They're part of this life, but your God never fails. He's brought other people through similar things. His grace will be sufficient for you. Somebody say amen. So there's a new assurance. Then he gives them a new assignment. He says, not only are you not alone, you're not through yet. You're not done yet. I've got more for you to do. I've got more lives for you to touch. You've got to pass this thing on. And you know, a sense of purpose, a sense of purpose in the heart tends to stir up faith and excitement in the life of the individual. To know that you know that somebody needs you. Someone does need you. Someone needs the best you. Someone needs the all out for Jesus you. Somebody needs your song and someone needs your story. Someone needs your presence. Someone needs just the things you can impart to them and how you can be there for them. No, no, no. Don't ever think that God doesn't have anything because somebody hath need of thee and you are the answer to somebody's prayer. I want you to think about that one for a moment. You are the answer to somebody's prayer. So go happy and get excited. Get full of Jesus. The world is waiting for you. A new assignment. This new assignment included training and preparing, passing on the calling and the spirit and the ministry to his successor. It's good to know that God always has a man. He always has a woman. He always has a person ready to move on. Um, when one person sees and draws to a close, God's desire and God's design is that there be a handoff, there be a transfer. For God's workers, they come and they go and they change. But God's work keeps advancing and keeps marching and keeps expanding. His kingdom continues to go forward even though His servants can be seasonal and generational. Jesus said, I am building. I am advancing. I am enlarging. I am increasing My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And friend, He builds it by His Spirit through His people. He builds it, not mystically, but He builds it through you. He builds it through me. He's looking for those that say, Lord, I'm ready to run in my generation. So we look at point one and two, and we're going to study in these next couple of weeks. We'll see how Elijah hands off to his successor, Elisha, and what we can learn from the story and apply to our lives. Remember, something falls from mentors that we have to pick up. And there's something we have that God wants us to pass on. So we see in our text a great man of God. He's finishing his race, but the Lord is marching on. 
I want to march on. Anybody with me? I want to march on with God. I want to be in that company that's busy doing what God has called them to do. Not taking the path of least resistance. Not just hanging on and doing our own thing. But those that are seeking God. And those that are serving God. And those that are saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Use me. Take my life and let it be spent for that which brings you glory. I want to march on with the Lord because that's how God works in His kingdom. His desire and His design is that one generation passes it on to the next generation and the will and the purposes of God continue through all generations, throughout the nations. We see it throughout the Word of God. We can go back to 1 Samuel when that great prophet Samuel, he's mourning and he's grieving. The 16th chapter, verse 1, and God shows up and says, how long will you mourn and you grieve since I've rejected Saul? It's time to get up. He says, rip up, fill your horn with oil and go. I have someone else. I found a man after my own heart. Saul's over, but my kingdom is marching on. Samuel, I've got a David who's going to take it to his generation and he's going to do the things Saul never did because God is marching on. We think about Joshua. That chapter 1, it opens up so powerfully. Moses, my servant, is dead. Had there ever been anyone quite like Moses that saw God face to face, yet now he's passed from the scene. But God is marching on. Moses will be no more. But the kingdom of God is advancing from faith to faith and conquest to conquest. He says, Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead, but tag, you're it. Hallelujah. Joshua, you're the next one. And as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. There's still cities to take. There's still devils to defeat. There's still a work to do. Can somebody say amen? I said God is marching on. I said it's too soon to retire and give up. Get some fresh fire. Get back in and serve the Lord. It's time to find our place in the kingdom's army, roll up our sleeves, and do what God's called us to do. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. I woke up better than many of you. Hallelujah. He's looking for another person to use. He's looking for someone else to carry on the work of the kingdom. Any volunteers? Now, there are two sides to this. There's the passing on. That's Elijah. The older generation. The the passing on. And then there's the picking up. That's Elisha. The younger generation. This is a seminar all by itself. Positioning yourself to properly pass on. And positioning the next generation to receive. You wonder why the next generation don't receive. Well, if we don't get them to God's house and Sunday school and things like that, they're not going to have much opportunity Another sermon for another day. But a lot of these things aren't mysteries. A lot of these things aren't mysteries. A lot of things we scratch our heads over. They're not mysteries. Another sermon for another day. We ask ourselves this morning, what was it about Elisha that made him the one God desired to use? He receives the mantle. That mantle is the cloak. That blanket-like jacket that he wore. But it represented the gift and the authority. It represented the anointing of that prophetic office that he stood in. Now, we recognize that God has a mantle for each one of us. There is an anointing, an enabling, there is a gifting, there is an equipping for each one of us to carry out our purpose and our responsibility to fulfill our calling in every area of life. If you're a man or woman of God, there's an anointing to be the parent you're called to be. There's an anointing to be the husband or the wife you're called to be. 
There's an anointing to be that worker in that light in that dark place where you're working that God has called you to be. There is a mantle. There is an anointing. And there's things we need to do so we'll flourish and stay strong and vibrant in God. One writer said it like this, It is sown by the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit in such a supernatural way that it will fit only you. It's tailor-made for the individuals that walk with God. It'll fit your life. It'll fit your personality. It'll fit your function. It'll fit your divine purpose. Now, for Elisha, possessing the mantle will symbolize the receiving that prophetic calling and anointing for the next generation, taking Elijah's call into that next generation. Now, the Elijahs should learn how to pass on and impart and hand off what they've learned so the work will continue and increase. The older generation has to learn how to be approachable enough and around enough to pass on, if you've learned anything, something that you've learned and experienced in God to the next generation. Remember, the work's not done till you pass it on. But the Elishas, the younger generation, should be looking for to receive and learn and pick up and glean all they can from their spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith. The younger generation, and sometimes parents have to help them, get them there. you got to get them there. A lot of times they don't get there on their own. you got to get them there. So they'll be in the atmosphere where God can speak to them and they can see the glory of God and they can witness the power of God. And God can speak to them. So part of one generation often helps the other generation to receive and get exposure to these great things of God that they are called to dive into even deeper and take on even further. But again, we need to appreciate and learn from the next generation, the generation before us, and then pass it on to the generation behind us. I read a story the other day about a young man that really appreciated the generation before him, his father. So when his father started going on and on, telling him, when I was your age, by this time, he'd become a self-made, successful person, a millionaire. He bragged to his son, when I was your age, I had to carry water for a, a team of bricklayers day and night, all summer long, uphill both ways. The son appreciated that, so he thoughtfully said, I'm proud of you, Dad. If it hadn't been for your great determination, I might have had to do something like that myself. <laughs> it's good to appreciate what others have done for you. But it's good to recognize, now tag, you're it. You've got to do it for the next generation. Amen, amen, amen. We looked this morning. Let's notice three things about Elisha and why God chose him. You can't make the things of God cheap. We've made them very cheap in the present church. Read this book and you can do this. Just get the holy hot shot to touch you and you'll become that. We know it doesn't work because God doesn't work that cheaply. God doesn't work that, that, that non-sacrificially. There's a price to pay for true spiritual riches. And you see that throughout the gospel. So let's look at this. What are three things that we can touch on in this first sermon of why God chose him? Because, you know, really, in, in some ways, Elisha was an unlikely candidate or choice to receive the mantle. I mean, 7,000 others never bowed to Baal. There were all the schools of the prophets in the land in those days. They were like little Bible training areas where young men were trained to hear God's voice and be part of a prophetic company that would speak for God. But hundreds of those young men were trained and out there, and God bypasses them. Yet all these men are potential, yet God flew over all of them 
and picked Elisha. Those who really desire to be used of God and be part of what the Lord is doing this hour, remember that God knows where you are and God knows how to find you. So keep plowing and stay faithful. Pass the present test. Be faithful in the present place. There's a key to promotion in the kingdom. There's a key for being the one that God will use and choose. Simply pass the present test and simply be faithful in the present place. Number one, we learn, Elisha was sought. He did not seek. The mantle came to him. Now this is important because it has much to say about ambition and about motivation. Is it selfish-driven or is it nobly spirit-driven? But number one, Elisha sought. He did not seek. The mantle came to him. This act that we read about in 1 Kings 19, this day was initiated by God. God is the one that chooses. God is the one that calls. God is the one that elects. God is the one that selects. Elijah found him. He threw the mantle on him. Elijah traveled a long way to get to Elisha, bypassing many, many other potential candidates. The mantle chose him. Elisha was found in a field that we can simply call a field of obscurity. Not pushing or promoting himself. Not a man that had his own agenda. There was no manipulation. There was no selfish ambition. But he's found in a field at work plowing. And out of nowhere, he's plowing. He's found just faithfully doing his duty. And out of nowhere, just an ordinary day, Elijah, the most famous prophet of his day, finds him. You see, the first two kings of Israel, very similar story. The first two kings illustrate this principle clearly. In both cases, King Saul and King David, both men were serving their fathers faithfully, yet in obscurity, when God found them, when God chose them, when God anointed them. You see, God sees and God is watching and God is weighing and God is observing and God is measuring. How does the Scripture say it? For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen hearts that are fully committed to Him. He's looking for committed hearts and devoted lives and He'll find you if you meet that requirement. He'll find you if you're one of them. And He's the one that God uses. And that's the man or the woman that God honors and God promotes and God grants that increase of amazing grace to fight and do even more for the work of God. So we see that God sought out the man. That Elisha was found and chosen by God. But he was a man that was choosable because he was a man that was faithful. He was a man that was diligent. He was a man that was disciplined. Doing what God had called him to do, even though he's in obscurity, even though he's not in a place of much fanfare, yet he's found faithful. And God simply looks for those that he can trust. God looks for those that don't need titles and positions and applause to be found in their place of duty, doing faithfully what God has chosen for them to do. God sought out a man. And this morning, let's understand that God Almighty is still looking for men and He's looking for women 
that He can use to do His works, that He can use to fulfill His purpose, that He can use to carry on His cause right now. Right now as we speak, their needs to be met and their lives to be touched. And everyone that calls himself a Christian, you're invited to join. You're invited to participate. One size doesn't fit all, but there is a job and there is a task and there is a ministry for everyone. Just lift up your hand, unfold your heart, and say, Father, I'm willing. You can count on me and use me to do Thy works. Hallelujah! We ask ourselves, what is God looking for in a usable vessel? And again, we could go and give a lot of different thoughts that the Scripture teaches us. What kind of person is God seeking? Let me give you two quick subpoints under this. Two quick subpoints. The Bible tells us that God is seeking worshipers and God is seeking workers. The Bible tells us that God desires that there's a need. Can you imagine that? God says there's a need for worshipers and a need for workers. I'm looking for them. I don't have enough of them. I desire more of them. John 4 and 23. John 4 and 23. We see how, how Jesus says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. That means from the heart sincerely. Not just an empty ritual of religion. Not just an outward, you know, you make an ape do some of these things. But a sincerity from the heart that's overflowing from the life of appreciation and gratitude and thanksgiving unto the living God in spirit and in truth. The truth means we don't get to worship and serve God any way we want. God in His Word, His Word is truth, has given us His desire and His design and how to please Him. Can you say amen? You can't raise Him on the golf course. No, 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 God don't accept that. No, no. His book has told us there's another way that He calls acceptable worship. But we see here, it says, for they, for they, Jesus says, for they, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The Father is seeking worshipers. What a thought this morning. The Father seeks men and women who really love Him and will not be ashamed to express that love to Him in spirit and in truth, in the beauty of holiness with all that is within us that will bless His holy name in song and in service, in sacrifice, in lifestyle, that living sacrifice. Oh God, is looking for worshipers. The Father seeks. The Father desires a people who will publicly and privately exalt Him and adore Him and honor Him unashamed before men and uninhibited by the world with our lips and with our lives. May the Father find such worshipers in us. Can you say amen? I remember how worshipers and from that love will come divine service. From the sacrifice of praise will come a service of the hands. For the worshiper always becomes the, the worker. Because love has an expression. Love has an expression. You remember when Jesus, He rose and He's getting ready to go back to glory and He meets with Peter and three times He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Finally, Peter says, yes, you know, you know I love you. Good. If you love me, then serve me. If you love me, then work for me. If you love me, go ahead and feed those sheep. If you love me, go ahead and touch those that are dear to my heart. Touch those I've shed my blood for. Minister to those that need a touch in my name. If you love me, if you're a worshiper, you'll be a worker. You'll be a worker because God seeks worshipers and God is looking and heaven is desiring 
caring and calling out workers in this present hour. Matthew 9, look at these two verses. Matthew 9, 37 and 38, we see Jesus. He said to His disciples as He sees the crowds and He sees the multitudes, He sees lives that are coming to Him that are broken and bruised, that are battered, that are hurting, that are confused. He sees lives and the Son of God's heart goes out. That great compassion of God is moved when He sees hurting people. Many times we want to avoid them, but the heart of God reaches towards them. Many times we're overwhelmed by the complexity of their messes and in our humanity. That is true. But God still sees them as sheep without a shepherd that need to hear a message of hope, that need to be touched by a grace that is able to lift them out of their dysfunction and make them strong and healthy and vibrant in God. Then Jesus said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful for the workers. The workers, the workers are few. The needs are great, but those that are willing to go and roll up their sleeves and do their part, we don't got enough of them. There's more needs than there are laborers. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, verse 38 tells us, ask the Lord, seek the Lord to send out workers into His harvest fields. God says, I want you to pray that more people will feel the call to divine service. That more people will see in their lives it's the right thing to do to give God proper time and effort to do His works and to touch lives in His name. To us, the heaven says, the harvest is plentiful. The time and the needs are urgent and they're many and they're varied. To us, the Lord says, I'm looking and calling for workers, men and women, who will say, Jesus, you can count on me. That will simply say, Lord, or all you've done for my life, you can count on me. I'll serve you. I'm willing to do my part. I'm willing to roll up my sleeves. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my talents. I'll give you my very best effort, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. I will gladly give my life in service for thee. Somebody say, Amen. What is God looking for? We're looking for worshipers. The Bible says that. He's looking for workers. We notice number one about Elisha. Elisha did not seek. The mantle sought him. And we see here that God is the one that chooses. So there's no jealousy. God is the one that chooses. So that's cool. But we also recognize that God is presently looking. I want to be found as someone that God can use. When he sees me, I want him to be pleased by what he sees. The mantle came to him. Elisha was sought. He did not seek. But secondly, Elisha, when God did find him, he was working, not waiting for the mantle. You ever hear somebody, well, someday, ah, well, until someday, get busy this day. Can you say amen? Well, and someday, you know, today, this is the day of salvation. Get busy serving God today. I want you to notice something. There are qualifications. Because remember, next week we get deeper into it. He says, I'd like a double portion. And the prophet didn't sugarcoat anything. He said, you've asked for a hard thing. You're going to have to put some things down if you want more of God. You're going to have to make some different priorities. You want more of God. Now, you can get saved and stay in that, that level. But if we're going to that place of really affecting our generation and the generation that follows, it'll take a greater anointing. It'll take that double portion type of blessing of God. But that doesn't come cheap and that doesn't come. It comes with the sacrifice and it comes with the diligence. But there are qualifications 
just to qualify for preparation. Recognizing everything that's happening this morning is not so he can run into ministry, but so he can take the next eight to ten years of his life and be prepared for his ministry. Now, many people are quick to get a call, I want to minister, but to actually submit to the part of the preparation phase, they struggle with that and therefore never get to that next part. He's going to be called and his first calling is not to go and carry on the work of the great prophet, but it's to take the eight, ten years and just pour the water and be his servant and be his right hand and learn from him as God tests him and God proves him and God um, tempers him and God prepares him. Then the time will come and he was ready. Not everyone passes that test. Even Jesus took disciples and he didn't send them immediately. For three good years they walked with him and he trained them and he tested them. And things went through. Some that followed him turned back and didn't follow the whole way because the cost was too much. We see this throughout the Word of God. So again, there's qualifications just to qualify for preparation. God comes to his house and he's found faithfully working for his Father. Now, now that's not deep, but in the kingdom, that's right on. That, that's, not, that's not deep. That's not sensational. That's not the great revelation anybody wants to hear. Isn't that right? But, but it's, it's the way of the kingdom. Be found doing. If you want God to bless you, and you want God to use you, and you want to go farther in God, be found doing. Be found doing. What am I talking about? Serving in the present. Serving in the present. Proves us. Prepares us. And positions us for the future. Say it one more time. Being faithful. And serving God in the present. Properly serving God proves us, prepares us, and positions us for the future. Now, the point we see here is that the mantle, when it came to the young servant, found a disciplined lifestyle to fall upon, a focused life to fall upon, a responsible life, a faithful life to fall upon. Pastor Frank DiMazio, in in writing about this story, he, he made this comment. He said, when you want to find... Someone for a mantle, the older generation. Now, I do this constantly. You look and you just, you look and when you want to find someone for a mantle, find someone who knows how to plow a field. Now, I gotta admit, I never plowed a field before, so he got my attention when he wrote that. I mowed a yard or two, uh, you know, I've done my, you know, I've done my share, but I know I can't say I've ever been much of a plow. Back in those days, right, behind those big animals and that, and that thing, I mean, I've gone to the museums, you know, and, and seen when they used to do that, but he's, it's a simple thing. He says, find someone knows how to plow a field. What's he talking about? He goes on, he says, well, you know, there's strength, focus, discipline, consistency, concentration are all required. Endurance if you're going to plow a proper field. He says his preparation came from plowing. He was proven for promotion behind a plow. Plowing's tedious. One long line. Everybody can scrutinize your work and drive down the street and look and see that field where they off their medication when they start going, no, no. I mean, you can, everyone can look and scrutinize what kind of job is this person doing? They can see the results. You know, you, you can't plow a straight line. And go around every stump and every rock. You can't bypass the hard stuff if you're going to plow a straight line. You got to deal with what's in front of you. You got to take the extra time and not avoid what's inconvenient. Plowmen and plotters cannot take the path of least resistance, he goes on to write. 
Pastor Damaso says, here's our lesson. It's called excellence in the routine. Or the Bible says faithful in the little, in the ordinary. Being faithful with someone else's field, with someone else's vision, with someone else's ministry, with someone else's money, etc., etc., prepares us for a life of usefulness in God's kingdom. His heart and his life was disciplined before the mantle. Before the mantle. Or let's say it like this. He did not need title, position, or promotion to motivate him to serve with excellence and diligence, to do his devotions, to live holy, to give a quality, consistent effort to God and his kingdom, to take the hard assignments. Let's be faithful when working in another person's field. The words of Jesus, Luke 19 and verse 17, Luke 19 and verse 17, Jesus said, well done, my good servant. Why? Because you've been trustworthy or faithful in a very small matter. In a very small matter. Very small matter. Not that hard, but you've got to show up on time to do it. Very small matter. Doesn't take a ton of preparation, but when you're there, you've got to look like you want to be there. Very small matter. Because you've been trustworthy, very small matter, take charge of ten cities. And we see again how God sees, how God measures the qualifications that God is looking for to bring that person into that next place. Then Luke 16, verse 10 through 12, verse 6, chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Again, the words of Jesus. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And you just show up for VBS and have the, have the Kool-Aid pour. Just have the little kid's snack ready. Can you do that? You don't got to stand in front of them. You don't got to prepare a lesson for them. You don't have to deal with, you know, disgruntled whatever. There's always a disgruntled whatever. don't have to do that. Can you just show up and do that? You're going to watch three hours of news. Can you just get up and read a chapter of undivided attention and let God speak to your heart and commit the day to God? Very little, very little. Never required a lot. You see, very little. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. This is how God measures us. This is how God evaluates who's ready for. Whoever is dishonest with very little, if I can't trust you with little, will also be dishonest with very much. With much. Verse 11. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, someone else's field, someone else's vision, who will trust you with true riches? If we're not faithful in the very smaller natural things, the true riches. And if you have been have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property uh, of your own? Wow, wow! Whew. Look like you all need a story. I got one. You remember in grade school? In grade school, they'd separate the groups: math group and there's reading group. And you know, sometimes you have the accelerated, you have the middle of the road, you know, right? Well, different groups. All right, anyway. Well, a child's father kept bringing home work night after night from the office, night after night. Little guy was just a first grader, wanted to play when dad came home. But dad's always bringing home work, and, you know, I got to work, son. I'm sorry, I can't play with you. So anyway, he, he says, well, daddy, why is it every time you come home from work, you still got to do work? And his father explained that he had so much work, he couldn't finish it all during the day. And so the little guy reads, and he said, well, then, daddy, why don't they put you in a slower group? <laughs> Sometimes God puts us in a slower group if we're not willing to do what we're supposed to be doing when we're supposed to be doing it. And they all say amen and amen.
Elisha was sought, he did not seek. That's important. We live in a day of, of a very mixed motivation in the kingdom. Very mixed, There's agendas out there. Things are driven not so much for the glory of God, but very prideful, very agendas. But sought. Elisha, number two, was working, not waiting for the mantle. He found his present place of duty and gave it his best. Amen? So wherever you're at, pass the present test and be faithful in the present place. Amen? Whatever your test is, pass it. Because it's part of God's developing you and training you, improving you and watching you. And then whatever you're asked to do, give it your best. Give it your best. Give it your best. And now number three, Elisha recognizes the God moment and seizes his calling without hesitation. Man, when he came, that was it. He burned everything, followed out. Remember, hesitation and procrastination are tools of the enemy. They're costly. They keep people from obeying. They keep people from responding. You can look back in so many people's lives where the opportunity was there. But they had the hesitate. They had it. They look back a decade later, it's, not, it's, it's over. It's over. Don't miss the God moments in the God movements in your life. Don't miss the doors of spiritual opportunity that are open, but they don't stay open forever. Live daily close enough with the Lord so your heart will be sensitive and alert enough and your will will be yielded enough to recognize when God is moving, to recognize when doors that God has orchestrated are opening, to recognize when the Spirit is speaking so you can respond, recognize so you can respond and be willing to act. Listen, friend, remember, in the eternal scheme of things, your will matters greatly. Your will matters greatly. So, well, Spirit, no, Spirit will give you strength, but your will that got you here this morning. The Spirit might have given you strength to get up, but it was your will to determine I'm going to get to God's house this morning. Could have been 50 other places. Your will matters greatly. If you ever really got serious with God, it started in that will. Now, the Spirit might have dealt with you, but He couldn't override that will. You made up your mind. You know what? Whatever the cost is. I'm going to start putting God proper priority. I'm going to get up. Uh, I see Brother Gerald out there. He drives a long way just to come to church. He comes a long way because he feels this is what God would have him to do. See, your will is involved in that. Your will is involved in that. I know a lot of times the natural man probably tired, probably yawn and said, man, that's a long ride. But the will has made a determination. This is what God would desire. And I'm going to do this in pleasing to the Lord. Your will has a whole lot to determine where you'll go, and what you'll do in the kingdom of God. So we look here and we say, don't allow life-changing, life-promoting moments to pass you by. Those God moments, those God mentors, the moving of the Spirit, the opportunities to grow and to, to participate. It might not come a second time. Turning points and pivotal points don't always come around twice. I want you to notice four ways that Elisha responded to the call to prepare. To prepare. I've got to highlight that. It wasn't a call to serve. It wasn't a call to lead. It was the call to prepare that led to that. But if he doesn't respond here, he never gets there. Amen? That's, you, can't, you can't go around this. Sometimes we like to. Amen? Sometimes we like that. But um, here we go. Four ways. 
to prepare. Number one, he responded immediately. He responded immediately. Here he is waking up like any other ordinary day, out there leading the team or doing what God has called him to do, working under his father. And all of a sudden the prophet shows up. He had no expectation of this. Again, he's off the radar in the natural sense. He's not in the school of the prophets. He's not from some family of priests. He's just out there working for his father. But somehow or another, he was living close enough with God that he was sensitive to the movements of God and to the voice of God. So here he is. He's ready in his heart to surrender and to respond. He's attentive because of the way he lived daily. He was ready for his eternity. What we do daily determines our destiny. Because he was daily someone that walked with God, had a sensitivity to God, when the moment came for something very special, he was ready to hear it and ready to respond to it. Again, don't get so attached to this world that you can't hear or you're not willing to obey God. Don't get so attached. I'm talking... To Christians now. Don't get so attached to the things of this world that you can't hear God or you're not willing to respond to God. It was years of his moral, spiritual character preparation that made him ready for his moment. It hadn't been wasted time. Friend, it's not wasted time what you do to walk with Jesus. It's not wasted time when you make your priority in a way where God and His kingdom come first and other things, even good things, come second. It's not wasted time when you turn off the TV and say, you know what, I need to get some Bible reading in my life if I'm going to walk good and strong with God. It's not wasted time if you say, you know what, instead of doing you know, the third softball team, maybe I need to volunteer and get busy in the house of God doing something for the one that died for me. Anybody with me? It's never wasted time to serve God. It's not wasted time to grow in the things of God. He responded immediately, and then he responded with resolve. No turning back. I mean, he, he burnt, he, he killed the animals. He, he burned it, had a big old barbecue. But he responded with resolve. That's boom. He meant business. He wasn't testing this thing out. He wasn't taking this thing for a test drive. See what I'm getting at? He was ready. When God called, he said, I'll give you my all. God, if you know, none of this stuff. He was resolved. Number three, he, he severed the past. He severed the past. He gave up family, farm, and future with one severe decision. He severs the past. He was the son that would have inherited the farm. He said, I've got to follow God. He was the son that was expected to do X, Y, Z. He said, I've got to follow God. He severed the past. Many never get on to God's best. They don't have the ability to sever the past, even the good past, and walk freely with God. He responded immediately. He responded with resolve. He severed his past. And finally, he seized his calling without hesitation. He said, goodbye, mom and dad. And he went after the prophet. He left. He severed. He followed. He served. He's going to do that for about eight to ten years. Being tested, being proven, being trained, being prepared. And then the time will come. And God's going to say, what do you want? I want a double portion. Even then, it's going to cost you. And we're going to see next week how he pays the price to get to that place where God can entrust him with Elijah's mantle, grant him a double portion, and he takes us into his generation. Next week, we're going to see the chariots of fire. Elijah gets taken up into heaven. Isn't that something? 
Never does die. Just goes up in a chariot of fire. And Elisha, Elisha, after that ten years or so, he's going to pick up that mantle. He's going to receive that prophetic anointing. And he's going to carry it on to the present generation. I pray this morning that each one of us can give thought and application to the principles that we've studied. I pray that we can respond to the present call of God's Spirit to each one of our lives. Involvement and participation, regardless of what generation we represent, regardless of where we stand in the scope of things, may we give ourselves to proper involvement and participation in kingdom business. There's um, lives for lives to touch. So we pray God help us to live all out and offer ourselves to serve at the pleasure of our King. I'm going to pray the prayer. That's my thought. Let's learn from these lessons. The older generation live in such a way where there's something about your spirit that attracts a younger generation that's hungry for God. That you'll have opportunity to touch, an opportunity to pour in, an opportunity to properly speak that word. In the younger generation, get a hunger and a thirst that you'll want God more than all the other things that are being put out before you in this present hour. And you'll want God and you'll position yourself. Your life will position itself that God will see you and be pleased and willing to use you and advance you and take you. Bowing our hearts, Father, in the name of Jesus, help each one of us to be found faithful and obedient in our service, in our lifestyle, and in our ministry. In our relationship with the next generation, Father, help us, Lord, to be proper towards that next generation and bring each one of us to a greater place of personal devotion. Now, Father, I ask You to fill every thirsty life. If anyone's come in this morning weary, as they look to You, Father, fill them afresh, fill them afresh. Renew their strength. Renew their encouragement, faithfulness. Oh, God, fill them afresh. I pray, oh, God, heal every hurting life. If anyone needs a touch from God, Father, in Jesus' name, let Your healing power flow. Father, let Your power flow quickly, powerfully, sovereignly. In Jesus' name, Father, heal the hurting. Refresh the weary. Lord, I pray You'd mend strained relationships. Pray, Lord, right now You'd mend strained relationships. People living under the same roof, but there's a strain in There's a friction. There's been something that needs amending. There's something that needs a restoring. Something that needs a cleansing. Father, we pray that You would mend relationships. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be proper love and communication once again. Let there be a proper working things out and preferring one another. And now, Father, bless this dear group. I pray Your favor and Your wisdom and your strength will be upon them in a fresh measure. That this would be a week of victory. This would be a week of touching lives with your power. This would be a week of enjoying the sovereign blessing from the smile of heaven. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget the offering in the back. God bless you.